Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Sebastian Shulman, and this week I'm here with Faith Jones. Uh, Faith Jones is a longtime friend of the Yiddish Book Center. She's a librarian who was based for many years at uh, the New York Public Library um, and is now based in her native British Columbia. And uh, she's published many articles on Yiddish literature and poetry, in particular on, on uh, women writers in Yiddish, and is an accomplished Yiddish translator. And uh, this week, we're here to talk about her new uh, book of translations, The Acrobat, The Selected Poems of Celia Dropkin, that she has translated along with Jennifer Kronovit and Samuel Solomon. Uh, that is coming out, uh, or, or has just come out, uh, with Tebetbach Press. And uh, we are so honored to have you here today. Thank you, Faith. Burakhabo. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's our pleasure and, and our honor. Um, so I'd just like to, to sort of get right to it. Can you tell our, our listeners who might not be aware, who was the poet Celia Dropkin? Dropkin is a very interesting poet in Yiddish literature. She was born in 1887 in Belarus, uh, moved to the United States in 1912, uh, died in 1956 in New York. So very much in the classic era of Yiddish literature, writing at the, really the high point of modernism in Yiddish, the 1910s, 20s, and into the 30s. Um, she put out one book of poetry in her lifetime in 1935. It was called In Hasten Vint, which means In the Hot Wind, and it is available on your uh, web collection of, uh, of Yiddish literature at the Internet Archive. Um, she, she's, as I say, she's a modernist, but she was not closely allied with any of the modernist movements in Yiddish. She really carved out her own niche and made her own intervention in Yiddish literature. Particularly, um, she's, she's really best known for bringing a sort of feminine bodily awareness into mm. Yiddish literature. So she, she found subjects that really had not been published before uh, and was very, really ushered in a new era of candor. Uh, so very much a modernist that way, very much believed that the experiences of the individual were the central issues in poetry. Um, but not well, people often call her an Inzichistin, that she was part of the Inzich group, which are the introspectivists. She's not that similar to them in many ways, but in, in these ways she was a modernist. She believed that any subject was an appropriate subject for a Jewish poet writing in a Jewish language. It did not have to be on a Jewish topic. It did not have to have a message related to uh, Jewishness or Jewish fate. Uh, she simply believed that the exploration of the individual psyche was uh, a timeless subject for any poet in any language. So, uh, yes, yeah, so very much in tune with world modernist modernist poetry in that way. Mm, and, it's, and it's really quite striking when you read her poetry in Yiddish. You, you, you say that uh, she passed away in 1956, but her poetry reads so contemporary so often. It's, it's really quite striking. I think it's one of the great conundra we have when we, when we look at writers, and we're talking about somebody who was writing 100 years ago, 
it's very easy for us to think of them as being essentially different from us in so many ways and to think of ourselves as having sort of created human liberation. Um, but this is not true. She really, in many ways, precedes us and shows us things about ourselves that we might not even be aware of or might have trouble expressing. Uh, even now, I think people sometimes find her poetry quite uncomfortable because she says things that aren't necessarily uh, what we expect her to say. And she subverts a lot of our expectations about how women are going to talk about particularly female experiences. So in those ways, I think that I think that's part of what keeps her fresh is that she just has uh, such a piercing honesty. Her, her poems are so vivid. They're so unflinching. She never writes a boring poem. Well, well, now I think you've got all of our, our listeners quite curious to hear uh, what her poetry is like. Um, and I was wondering if you might uh, have a, a selection you might want to read for us, in uh, both in the Yiddish and in, and in your translation. Sure. I've chosen a, a poem uh, to, to really show the, the things that she's the best known for. It's a short poem. Most of her poems are short works. So this is sort of representative. I'll read it first in Yiddish. O soydes dick leben. Foshot a zoi mis, iberg andersht meine glieder, und zeugt mein mark, und zeugt mein blut, und egbert, egbert meine briest. Was holbt sich mir, a zoi oft, a zoi oft, dos bet, dos inquisitia bet, wo ois gestreckt, Lig ich in schwere Leiden. Langsam, langsam wachst du in mir, wachst du in mir, O Seudestik Leben. O secretive life, what reconstructed my limbs be so ugly, and sucks my marrow, and sucks my blood, and bores through my breasts? Why do I dream so often of this bed, the Inquisition bed, where I lie stretched out in heavy suffering. Slowly, slowly you grow and grow in me, O secret of life. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm a little speechless. That, that, that is quite the poem and a superb translation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes, I, it is the earliest pregnancy poem that I have come across in Yiddish. Um, there's there's one other poet who wrote quite a bit about pregnancy, uh, Schimiacher Schwein, another wonderful poet. Uh, but this this I think precedes her by about ten ten or more years because Dropkin was just that little bit older than her, uh, so she had her children a bit earlier. Mm. It's a very interesting um, it's an interesting poem because she uh, she loved her children very much and wrote. Beautiful, beautiful poems for them. She really doted on them and, and in, on children in general. Um, one of her greatest sorrows in her life was losing one of her children mm. uh, after you know, it was only a few days old. Um, so it's not that she dislikes motherhood, but this poem is very clear that the um, the pregnancy process was a, was tough, and um, and she somehow expresses this you know, incredible, um, this incredible pain that, uh, that women have to, have to endure uh, in many cases. So really very fascinating. 
And that, that reference there to the Inquisition bed <laughs> is, is, yeah. is, is quite fascinating. She, this poem is at once sort of universal um, and could have been written in any language, but gives it some sort of very distinctly Yiddish character. I hadn't really thought about that, but it's true. Um, it's, it is the, the Jews who would have been on the Inquisition table being tortured, so that is true. Um, so I, I don't. She, there aren't that many specifically Jewish uh, references throughout her poems, and I hadn't really, I hadn't really tweaked to that one. So thank you. Uh, well, it just just goes to show how uh, how deep one can can delve in into Dropkin's work. I think. Mm-hmm. There's so, always more there. So how did you come across her uh, as as a Yiddish reader, and and what sort of drew you to her as a translator? So what happened was um, one summer I was studying at YIVO at the Zimmer program, which at that time was at Columbia University, and I made a couple of friends there, uh, Jennifer Cronovit and Samuel Solomon, and we, uh, we would sit together at lunchtime on the grass. And in one of her, uh, her classes, Jenny had been introduced to Dropkin, and uh, had gone to the Columbia Library and gotten the, the book out of, out of the library, and we would sit around at lunchtime and we would read these poems out loud to each other. And they just uh, were so they just were so emotionally resonant, and we just started translating them. Just we just started taking out you know it'd be over lunch, and we'd take out a piece of lined paper and we'd start translating them. And um, and gradually over the course of the summer, somehow we got this idea to translate her her complete works. So we spent, well, that was the year 2000, so that's been 14 years now. We've been working on that. Wow. In the end, what we've, what we've, yeah, no. <laughs> in the end, what we've actually published is not uh, her complete works. It's the selected works. So I can tell you a little more about that. But uh, somehow, I mean, we never thought it was going to take 14 years to do this, but Somehow we just never could get enough of her. It's never there was never a point that any of us wanted to give up. So, um, so we just you know just as we read these poems, we would become more and more excited by them. And part of it was very much coming across the poems where there are vampire images mm. and where there's you know masturbation and um, sex acts described, and we were just blown away and and made to realize that we had this foremother that we had to access and that other people should be able to access. So that's uh, that's how we started. And so I what is say, the Yes, please. I will say it has been so it has taken us so long to to do this book. When we started in the year 2000, Sam was still in high school. Mm. And yes, and now he is a tenure track professor. So that's how long <laughs> it has taken us <laughs> to, to, um, to do these poems. And so, what is or, or was the, the process? That's how it began. Um, and it's certainly taken uh, more than a, a bar mitzvah's worth of time. Um, yes. But uh, what what was the process of collaborative tran- translation? We would divide up the poems, and we would each we would go away, and we would each write work on say six or eight poems at a time, and we would work on a, a fairly close translation. Um, 
especially when we began, our Yiddish wasn't that good. I mean, I think that was my second year studying Yiddish. Mm. So uh, we had to really... Um, we had to really work at just getting the literal meaning and understanding the poem, and then we'd bring that back to the to the group, um, and we would each, you know, we'd be able to explain what the poem was about and how we understood it to be. Um, of course, in that process, we discovered many, many mistakes and things we had understood wrong. Um, that was going on right up until reading the proofs of this book. Um, I'm sure there's some that have crept in there that our readers can correct. But it really was a process of learning Yiddish along with learning Dropkin. So really a wonderful way for us to deepen our knowledge of the language. Then we would workshop the poems. Sometimes somebody would continue working. One of the three of us would continue working on the same poem. Sometimes another person would take it over, just depending on how we felt about the poem. Um, And particularly towards the end, like, let's say, the last three years, um, our process has been much more fluid. We live in three different countries, and so we've been uh, we've been doing this all by email and with Google Chats and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, the process has been much more back and forth, people tweaking this and that, people reworking things, things on shared documents moving around. So it's been it's hard to say exactly what the process is. It's a little bit it's a little bit bewildering even for us how we ended up at these poems. But it's you know for one reason or another it's it's worked very well. We have hardly ever had a fight mm. over over any of the poems. I think I, you know we might have had one or two in the entire time we've been working together. So. And how does the process of of collaborative translation compare to working on poems or or other pieces of literature by by oneself, um, as you have also done? Well, it's much simpler to work on your own. Um, because you just have to please yourself. When we work in a group, we really delve into the poem in a much, um, you know, you're, you're excavating it through three different people's consciousnesses. So it ends up being, to me, it, it was a much more difficult, but also in many ways a much more rewarding process. Um, and one of the things is that we come to these poems quite differently. Uh, Jenny, as I mentioned, is a poet and a poetry editor. Sam is a literary critic. He's also a poet. Um, and I am a librarian, and I'm basically a historian of the book. I'm not really a literary critic. So I, I, oh, and I must say I'm also the one who is good at understanding tricky Yiddish grammar. So we all came at it with, with different approaches and so we would see the poems in quite different ways, and that make, made our readings of them very rich. Well, I, I think that uh, the, the fruits of your labor have, uh, have really proven uh, themselves to be quite, quite uh, delicious, if I might say, might use that metaphor. Um, and I was wondering if you, you had uh, another poem you would like to, uh, to share with us. Absolutely. Um, so I've chosen quite a different poem um, for this one, quite unusual in her, um, in her among her works. It's called uh, New York by Nacht by Die Bregen von Hudson. In die Kämmerin von deiner Wolkenkratzers rinnt gildener Honig, das Licht. Durch die Millionen Fenster, wie durch die Kämmerin von gigantischer Honignesten, set man Dem gildenem Honig, dem Menschens Honig, das Licht. Riesige Bienen haben gebeut aus ihre Bienstocken, a Wald von Bienstocken, und Überfieldsee mit Honig, menschlichen Honig, 
Schwarz wie Pech in der Hotzebanacht, und der Honig strammte hin und schlingt den Pech bei die Bregen von New York. Bener Azelcha mit gildener Frucht, Avald mit gildener Frucht, riesige Sänderin behangen mit Landherren. New York at night by the banks of the Hudson. Seeping from the cells of your skyscrapers is golden honey, light. Through millions of windows, as through the cells of gigantic honeycombs, you can see golden honey, human honey, light. Immense bees built their beehives here, a forest of beehives, and filled them until they overflowed with honey, human honey, light. The Hudson at night is black as pitch, and the honey flows and swallows the pitch on the banks of New York. These amazing trees with golden fruit, a forest of golden fruit, gigantic cedars hung with lanterns. Again, I'm just sort of awestruck. Uh, that, it makes me homesick for New images, York. Eh? Hmm? I'm sorry? <laughs> She's good at images, right? Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it makes me nostalgic for New York, um, but it's also just just an incredible, uh, incredible use of language, incredible poetry. Um, mm -hmm. And I and I thank you and and your colleagues for for bringing this uh, in into English for for English readers. Um, thank you so much. We're really really pleased to have this work out and hopefully reaching new new audiences. A final final question for you. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think Dropkin has evaded uh, translators or, or has not been translated uh, in in great in great uh, in great number and great depth uh, up until this point? Well, she had a problem in her lifetime, uh, which I think we're still kind of living with. Uh, which is that um, she was always she was always published. She didn't have trouble being published, and let's face it, sex sells, so that was always good for circulation. But uh, she did not. She was not treated very kindly by um, by the critics, and they saw her as uh, in a state of arrested development. She was, you know, consumed. She was obsessed by her body. You know, the way we think of teenagers, you know, just, you know, sort of uh, overtaken by her hormones and, and didn't see anything outside herself and was completely self-regarding and immature. And this was the, the critical consensus on her. Uh, and I have to point out, in her day, all the, all the critics were men. Um, so I have not come across a single criticism of Dropkin by a woman. Mm. Um, so, so this was sort of the critical consensus in Yiddish, and I think we we live with that. Um, we live with that today. I mean, I think that's still an assumption. People who know Yiddish, I think that's still an assumption that people have about her. Uh, and for people who are in sort of the mainstream publishing, I mean, we approach many, many publishers about this project, and a lot of people really saw this is too specialized, that Dropkin would only speak, for example, to people doing gender studies, specifically looking at Jewish women or something like that. And I think we, we got turned down a lot because people couldn't see 
somebody like Drogkin as somehow speaking some kind of universal message. And that's, I think that's just a problem we still have, that women aren't, women writers aren't seen as, um, as having something they can say to men or to people outside their immediate circumstances. Um, we see that in movies and all kinds of places. Men are the universal characters. And um, so I, I, I just think it's an ongoing social problem that we haven't yet fixed. Well, I do hope that this, this uh, new volume of translations will uh, uh, help in that regard, change the way we think about so many things, about poetry, about, about Yiddish and Yiddish literature, um, and also uh, just enable us to en enjoy the work of this incredible poet as well, uh, really for, for the first time uh, in English uh, to, a, to a great extent. Um, so again, the, uh, the book is The Acrobat, The Selected Poems of Celia Dropkin which has been translated by Faith Jones, Jennifer Cronovit, and Samuel Solomon. And it's available from Tebekbach Press uh, out this year. Thank you so much. Ashenem Dank. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Blechfeld. I'm Sebastian Schulman, Zeit mir gesinnt in stark. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.